Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go. Soccer Morning is live. It is Friday. I am uh, I am all kinds of pumped up today to talk to you about soccer for the next hour and change. We are uh, we are live as always. We will open up our phone lines shortly. It's one of those days. We had a guest. It was all lined up. It was going to be a fascinating discussion. And then, you know, life happened. Because life happens. And I understand how life happens. You know, kids and wives and uh, jobs, other kinds of jobs besides talking about soccer on the radio or on the internet every day. Uh, so our guest has fallen through. No fault of, of his. Uh, dis, uh, other responsibilities took over. So that means we have a large swath of time open for you to guide the discussion. If you have something on your mind that you would like to talk about, let's do that today. Let's uh, let's free kick Friday to somewhere. Okay? Let's do that. I got the news all all lined up for you. Uh again, we'll get the phone lines going as soon as we uh as soon as we wrap up with the news this morning. Uh there's a bunch of uh, there are a bunch of fascinating stories and even a couple of things I didn't manage to squeeze into the news that we can cover as well. But let's start with what is going to be a fa- pretty fantastic weekend of football in Europe. Saturday, number one and number two in Italy face off and Juventus hosts Napoli. Napoli currently has a two point lead over Juventus after 24 rounds in Syria. Three and four also meet in Italy when Fiorentina hosts uh, Inter on Sunday. Of course, you have the gigantic, massive, huge, impossibly large matchup in, uh, in England where Leicester can take another step towards an unlikely title when they visit Arsenal at the Emirates on Sunday. We will have a protest, presumably, at the Emirates on Sunday. Leicester fans are planning to boycott the first five minutes of that match due to the game being moved to Sunday on extremely short notice for television reasons. The television people said, hey, we'd like to showcase this game on Sunday. And the Premier League said, sure, no problem. And the Leicester fans who were traveling from Leicester to London said, wait a second, you're bastards. City faces Tottenham in another top-of-the-table clash as well. Uh, that's uh, a couple of teams in that top four looking to, to chase down Leicester and win a title themselves. So that's, uh, that's an exciting weekend. That's, um, that game is on Saturday. Am I, am I got that one right? I didn't put that in here when that actually, <laughs> when that game is actually happening. But I believe, uh, I believe that we have a Saturday matchup, uh, between, between Manchester City, uh, and nope, that's a Sunday game as well, isn't it? Yeah, let me just make sure. Uh, uh, this is what we do on the fly. Manchester City and Tottenham. Yeah, 11.15 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. So you have Arsenal and Leicester City starting your day off. If you want to squeeze in Aston Villa and Liverpool, sure, do that. That, that. that actually might be the time to take a nap. Then you come back from Manchester City and Tottenham. Arsenal is this year's MLS All-Star Game opponent, as announced by the league at an event in San Jose yesterday. MLS released a cute little video featuring cameos from many an MLS star, plus many uh, Arsenal players as well. The game is scheduled for July 28th at Avaya Stadium, home of the San Jose Earthquakes. So that's exciting. You know, guys, you guys know how I feel about the All-Star game. I can do without it, so it's um, it's whatever. But hey, Arsenal's a better opponent than most. The New England Revolution have sent general and targeted allocation money to the Vancouver Whitecaps for midf- uh, midfielder Gershon Kofi. Kofi is a 24-year-old Ghanaian. He'll help fill the void left by Jermaine Jones, who remains locked in a contract disagreement with the club. This would seem to be the death knell to any possibility of Jermaine Jones being re-signed by the New England Revolution. Uh, looks like he's probably going to end up somewhere else. 
this winter, uh, and, and whether or not he can find a deal with that six-game suspension looming over his head will be fascinating. Kofi is reunited with Revolution assistant Tom Sohn, who originally spotted him in Ghana and helped bring the midfielder to Vancouver prior to their start as an MLS franchise uh, back about f- six years ago. West Ham forward Dimitri Payet is set to sign a new five-year contract with the club. The French international has been rumored as a target of Chinese clubs as the Super League teams spend huge money in the transfer window. Uh, so this is a, a stay-away uh, message from, from West Ham, at least for the time being. The deal will pay Payet £125,000 a week through 2021 should he remain with the Hammers. It is, uh, per reports, the richest deal in West Ham history. FIFA presidential candidate Prince Ali bin al-Hussein of Jordan said Thursday that some national teams have been punished because their federations failed to toe the FIFA political line. Some quotes from Prince Ali here. Let me tell you what happens when you don't go with the recognized powers in FIFA. Development projects mysteriously stall. Tournaments hosting bids are suddenly compromised or withdrawn. National teams start to mysteriously face less favorable fixtures or even referees. All of these are effective ways to punish member associations that fail to demonstrate political loyalty. These are some pretty damning allegations. Um, Maybe not completely surprising considering what, what we know about FIFA and their operations. Uh, here's a little bit more. I'm referring to competitions, and a lot of times it comes down to the Continental Federa- Confederations as well and the way they approach games. It's a common feeling within the footballing world, and it's something that one has to really tackle and make sure there's no interference in terms of how things are planned. Asked if the practice included World Cup qualifiers, he said, I think sometimes it happens across the board. Confederations have a lot of pull in how they organize the tournaments, and FIFA has to keep a much more watchful eye because these FIFA tournaments and therefore these are FIFA tournaments and therefore they are they have to guarantee that things are done done more much more effectively FIFA could not be reached for comment they chose not to uh to comment on the statements of presidential candidates uh, I imagine that's um some sort of weird policy uh it says uh, Prince Ali um has gone uh into uh the Qatari World Cup hosting situation as well saying that if elected he would review the decision to war- award the 2022 world cup to qatar uh, if there was proof of wrongdoing if there is proof that there was criminal activity involved in the bid then sure adding that he would also look at allegations of maltreatment of migrant construction workers in qatar i will as president be there to make sure that human rights and workers rights are abided by now prince ali is not the front runner at the moment you have um uh you have uh you have um uh, Gianni Infantino, who's garnering a lot of attention because of uh, of the backing of UEFA, and then you have um, Prince, or you have the Salman of of Bahrain, who has already grabbed uh, Africa's backing as well. So uh, let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. I don't really want to talk about all of the ridiculous FIFA presidential machinations. I'd rather talk about actual soccer with you, the soccer loving public. So let's. Step aside, open up the phone lines, come back, and do that Friday thing. Soccer Morning, backheel.com.
to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. I don't like it when the when the return to the show sneaks up on me like that. I thought I had another minute or two to, to review some headlines. But no, here we are. It's Friday, and the phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. You have things to talk about. I am here to discuss them with you, or just to chat. We can chat. We can ban- banter. I don't like the word banter. I, I it, It's not a bad word in and of itself it's just that it's been spun into this weird broy lad thing when it comes to soccer and football and and then it becomes you know it's just banter i can say you incredibly mean crappy things to you but it's just banter no 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 all right one thing that that has piqued my interest this morning uh is the story of timothy weah if you're not aware of who timothy weah is i'm not uh, i don't really blame you he's 15 years old he is a part of the PSG Academy. He recently scored five goals for the PSG U-17s win uh, in the, the PSG U-17s win over Shanghai Xinhua of of China. And he is the son of legendary Liberian footballer George Weah. If you don't know who George Weah was, go back and figure out who George Weah was. I understand. Uh, this is not a criticism. I'm not like blaming you for not knowing who George Weah was if you're a new soccer fan or a new-ish soccer fan or if you're under the age of, say, how, how old do you need to be to, to know who Weah was, Trevor? Right, let's, let's put a number on this. Like, like justifiably young enough that it's okay if you don't know who George Weah was. He retired in 2003, so it's not as though George Weah was playing recently. I'm going to say under the age of 30. You probably don't know who George Weah was. Or you, you might not co- have a concept of George Weah and how good he was. George Weah was insanely good. George Weah is one of those guys who is very much Didier Drogba-like, credited with stopping wars, how, how revered he was um, in his home country, or still is. In fact, I think he is he's a governor, he's in the government of, of Liberia at the moment. So George Weah has a son. George Weah's son, Timothy, plays at PSG. He scores lots of goals, and he's American. Now, I don't know this is ever going to lead into George Weah's son, Timothy, playing for the United States of America. I, I don't want to make that assumption at all. Okay. Now, let's be fair about this. Timothy Weah, better shot at playing in a World Cup for the United States than with Liberia these days, but, you know, whatever. Things can change. And, and he may have real deep feelings about being Liberian. And by the way, the, the, the history of Liberia is fascinating, too. Go back and read about that. All right. So Timothy Weah is American, and it just it, it, it brings to mind this odd situation we have. Not only do we have a host of German-American players and, and players um, from many places around the world whose, whose parentage is one American parent and one one parent from uh, from you know one native parent and, and the reason for their union is is the the military intervention of the United States which gets into a whole hegemony thing and I don't want to do that right now I don't want to talk about military uh power in the United States but clearly when it comes to soccer we have create we we have a situation where there are many Americans who grew up other in other places and are American through through that quirk or through that that military reality, there are also there's also a different group of of American players, and they're the American players whose parents came to the United States. Of their they're, they're famous. Let me say it this way: their parentage is famous. <laughs> this is what's coming. You know, Timothy Weah plays. 
Timothy Weah scores goals. He's he's in a U17 team. He's 15 years old. You don't know if he's ever going to be a a top level professional player. But but when you look at the, the the genes he's got, you have to at least imagine that it's possible that Timothy Weah becomes an amazing player. And he happens to be American. And, and it's not as like there's obvious reason for Timothy Weah to be American. Uh he his dad wasn't American. His dad didn't play in the United States of America at any point. His dad played for Monaco and PSG and Milan. And uh, at the end of his career, very briefly for Manchester City, Marseille, and Al Jazeera. It's not as though Tim. It's not as though George Weah is a guy who would naturally end up in the United States for any particular reason, other than the fact that there is, you know, there are opportunities here that maybe. George had business here, or maybe he, uh, whatever. I mean, I don't know why George Way ended up in the United States. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know how. How? I mean, so he's got three kids. Uh, again, I don't. I, I think. Um, in fact, let me uh, let me see if I can find the story. I think Top Drawer Soccer did a piece. I think our man Will Parchman did a piece um, on Timothy Way. Um, over at, uh, yeah, Top Door Soccer for the 91st Minute blog. And let me just see if I can pull it up because I'm sure, I'm sure if anybody has, uh, anyway has background on Timothy Weah. All right. I thought, I thought Timothy Weah was already in the U.S. youth system. He probably is. Okay. I, I probably missed this. Okay. He, 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 maybe, um, Maybe, maybe it's already on the road to Timothy Weah being a U.S. men's national team uh, player. Okay, so it, it's not that's not really my point for, to Mike on Twitter. But but thank you. Yes, I I I may not have all the details. I'm not paying attention necessarily to 15 year old players at the moment. Try not to get too excited about a kid who scores five go, five goals in a youth team game against a Chinese club. Um, here we go. The youth national team experience tends to accelerate by degrees once the player hits the U17s. For one, it's the first age group with a U, with a World Cup. And the U-17 World Cup is a scouting bonanza. It has historically been a scene setter for some of the top pros in the world. Until then, shielded by the relative anonymity of provincial academies and U-15 boys national teams. Timothy Weah is currently in the midst of that acceleration. excuse me, And he is picking up speed fast. This is all from, uh, from again, from my friend uh, Will Parchman at Top Door Soccer. Weah is, of course, the son of AC Milan legend George Weah, which has dictated much of the coverage surrounding his early years. That much was always inevitable, but as he has joined, but as he's joined the U-17s, U.S. Men's National Team U-17s, current two-year cycle, which dead ends at the U-17 World Cup in 2017, Way has gradually stepped out on his own. He's a New York native. The New York native has a cup of coffee in the Red Bull system before moving on to PSG in 2014, and he's hammering, hammering other children into the core of the earth with a force of Beowulf. Leave it to Will Parchman to write something like that. Uh, so yeah, we've got, again, it's not necessarily about George Way, and I'm not trying to hype up Sorry, Timothy Weah. I'm not trying to hype up Timothy Weah. I'm just thinking about this because there's the rumors that uh, there's the rumor out there that Ronaldo's kid's American, right? Now he's not playing soccer yet. Timothy Weah is way ahead of seven-year-old little Ronaldo, whatever his name is, and maybe little Ronaldo never plays a, a, a second of soccer in his life. But it just occurs to me that there's really no reason for Ronaldo's kid to be American other than happenstance. There's I don't know about the situation with with George Weah, but you wouldn't necessarily assume, or or imagine, or reason out that George Weah's kid was going to be American. I just think that's funny. Six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. That was going nowhere, and I apologize for all of it. 
Uh, first of all, let's um, let's let, let me take a, a moment here to uh, follow up my uh, producer Trevor Hayward, who just put on Twitter, "Happy birthday to Jared Dubois, uh, my partner from the Best Soccer Show and a, a key part of the Backheel family." And there you go. Uh, happy birthday to Jared. He is uh, he's an old guy, but uh, he's uh, I'm, I'm not that far behind him, so it's hard for me to to really give him a hard time about that. Uh, we have uh, we have a big schedule this weekend. That Leicester Arsenal game. Tell me what you expect out of Leicester in this game. Tell me ex- how you imagine Leicester to approach this match at the Emirates. They just got done taking care of Manchester City. Didn't give Manchester City a chance to breathe. Went one up and salted that game away with their unique brand of uh, opportunistic counterattacking soccer. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, certainly smarter people tactically than me have broken down Leicester. I know there's a Jonathan Wilson piece floating around out there that I need to read. Uh, this is from James Dahl at, at ESPN FC. Leicester's jaw-dropping 3-1 win at Manchester City last weekend ensured we've all just about come to terms with the Foxes as title-winning material. Interremitting skeptics will surely be converted when they repeat that feat at Arsenal on Sunday. But Claudio Ranieri must cope with a new issue that goes by the name of expectancy. It is a different time of, type of pressure to win when it's, it is the, sorry when it is demanded of you. Even Arsenal boss Arsene Wenger has fed the media the line that Leicester are now favorites for glory. Arsenal stumbled after leading from the front earlier this season, and now it's the Foxes' turn to be the team everyone wants to defeat or at least avoid losing against. So we we've got a we we do have a, a situation now where the dynamics have shifted, and rather than Leicester being the plucky underdog who's going to surprise everybody. By, by knocking off some of the big teams and remaining near the top of the table. Now they are the target. Now Leicester has to deal with the mantle of being the favorite. And this is, I'm not going to say it's brilliant on the part of Arsene Wenger because it's a pretty obvious tactic, but yes, absolutely, you want to shift that burden of expectancy onto Leicester if you're anybody who's chasing them down. If you're Claudio Ranieri, if you're Manuel Pellegrini, if you're Mauricio Pochettino, what you do is say, oh yeah, Leicester, they're the favorites. I mean, look how good they are. Look at Mares. Look at Vardy. Look at look at these guys. They're just going. They're going to be, you know, it's on us to catch them because really, look how look how great Leicester is. That way, the uh, again the 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 expectancy, the burden of proving it is back on Leicester. They they have to be able to prove that they can uh, insulate themselves from that type of talk, not get in their own heads, not have their heads swell, lose focus. Drop points that they can't afford to drop. And again, go look at Leicester's schedule. Go look at their fixture list for the remainder of the season. Find me the games that they are really going to be underdogs in outside of, I think there's a a trip to Old Trafford, and they close out with Chelsea, and there might be one game against City in there, or they have, have they played City twice already? All right. I, I have to go look, but it's, it's not, it's not a killer fixture list. It's, it's a pretty easy schedule for them down the stretch. With the carrot in front of them, and they they have the lead now. They they have they have a gap that if they if they play their cards right, if they maintain some form of consistency, if they don't allow themselves to get too excited, should allow them not to walk to a title, but to go grab the title. Five points after twenty five games. Yeah, thirteen matches is a lot. That, that that that's a lot of points on offer. I mean, that's that's a significant amount amount for of games to have to navigate to go win your, your unexpected um, title. But 
at this point in the season, we start to see the separation. We start to see the cream rise to the top. We, we expect the teams at the top of the table to figure out a way to see it out. It's not Christmas. I mean, you make it halfway. That's great. What a, what a great, remember when Southampton was near the top? What, what a great story that is. Oh, good for Southampton. They, they hung in there. The Saints are really, they're such a plucky, lovable team. And then what happened? They sort of faded away. Lester hasn't faded. John on Twitter, allow Arsenal possession and counterattack directly like all season. Big trouble for Arsenal if they can't break down the defense. And, and look, that, one of those things, John, where it's, it's sort of the obvious, it's, it's the obvious tactic. It's a tactic that Lester has used to great effect all year long. It's what they did to City, but they also managed to score early on City. They also managed to get out in front. And this is a, this is a team, Lester is a team that clearly likes to be leading. They like to be ahead. That changes the dynamics in their favor. If you are, if they're chasing the game or if they're locked in a battle, you know, uh, scoreless, goalless battle for, for 85 minutes and, and there's a win there to be had, um, they're capable of it, sure, but it, but, but they're a better team if they can take it to you, take it to you initially. That, that's the thing. I think they need to come out fast at, at the Emirates. Clearly that's going to be difficult. Arsenal controls the ball. Better team in possession. But the, there's more danger up front for Leicester than there is for Arsenal. So if they can make that count, they're going to have a real shot at this. All right, 646-832-3909. You guys are being shy today. And this is not a day when, you're, when, when you can afford to be shy because I'm, I'm all by myself. We had a guest lined up. He had to back out for, for a very good reason, and now I'm here all by, all by myself. Let's talk about, um, about Carlos Heinz Rumenega. Let's talk about the Super League again. The ECA pushes for a 20-team Super League, European Super League. This is from uh, AS.com over in Spain. Carl Heinz Rummenigge, in his capacity as the European Club Association President and Bayern Munich General Director, has reignited the debate about starting a 20-team European Super League with a view to taking a bigger slice of the TV revenue pie. The club isn't afraid to compete in this pan-European competition. By the way, this is from Alfredo Matia would be ready to go ahead with this project with or without the help of UEFA. Now, this is key here. I'm listening to the SI podcast yesterday featuring uh, Grant Wall, Brian Strauss, and Brian Strauss brings this up. How on earth does a European Super League work if you lose the sanctioning of FIFA, uh, of FIFA and UEFA and the players who sign or are signed to those clubs who pull out are no longer allowed to play in international competition? Is that enough, I guess, is what I'm saying, to, to keep the Super League from happening? Because if Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Chelsea, AC Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid, these are the best players in the world from many different countries. Obviously, you know, more Germans in, in the Bayern Munich, Munich squad, more Italians in the AC Milan squad, more Spaniards in the Barcelona squad. But these are these are the best the world has to offer. And if the, if the Super League happens, or they're pushed for a Super League, and UEFA says, we're not going with you on this. We're not, we, we are not sanctioning your Super League. This changes football too much. This punishes everyone who's not in your elite club. We don't like this. We're pulling your sanctioning. And that means that players can't play in the European Championships, can't play in a World Cup. Is that, is that enough to keep it from happening? What players say no thank you and walk away? 
Who says no to that? The, the, and, and, and I can imagine a world. This is how cynical I've gotten about this thing. Okay. I can imagine a world where these clubs, based on the fact that they're going to be make, to rake, be raking in money hand over fist because of the European Super League clout, can offer the players enough money for the players to say, I'm cool with not playing for my country anymore. Is that, I mean, is that something we really believe could happen? I don't want to believe that's possible. I want to believe that the players would say, no, that's not in the spirit of the game. And, and I, I, I want to represent my country. I'm proud to be whatever I am. And, and this is not something I can go along with. I want to believe that because I don't, I, I don't know what the fix is here. I don't, I don't know how you get around this problem. Uh, more from Alfredo. Uh, the old continent football governing body has never taken to the idea and even reached an agreement with the Champions League heavyweights a few, a few years back to maintain the status quo until 2018. However, the continual growth of the Premier League spurred on by greater TV revenues has forced Italian, German, and Spanish clubs to address the increasing financial disparity. Rumenega and Andrea Agnelli, Agnelli the uh, Juventus president, recently reflected on the manner in which the Beautiful Games flagship club competition is administered in comparison with the most-watched league in the USA, the NFL. Now, here you go. You want to blame the Americans for something. It's our fault. The NFL is a juggernaut. The NFL prints money. It's a closed league. Same number of teams, same participants every year. Running a league schedule over the course of, what, six months? It is a model that teams like Bayern Munich can't, uh, they, they can't avoid being enticed by. The Champions League is worth 1.5 billion euros in television rights, while the NFL ranks in close to $7 billion. However, market research shows that of the 2 billion sports fans in the world, 1.6 billion follow football, and only 150 million follow the NFL. This is certainly food for thought. You give, you give business-minded people the sense that they are leaving money on the table and they are going to respond by asking to get some of that money, by trying to get some of that money. That's, that's the reality that we live in. Now, it's great when the fans of Liverpool can walk out and force PSG, PSG, FSG into backtracking on their price hike. And you can get FSG to admit that they got it wrong. And you can sort of squeeze out of FSG um, the the feeling, the uh, admission that Liverpool is a special club and they need to be caretakers of said club and, and, and they can't uh, treat the, the fans poorly. And I don't, I don't necessarily doubt that Fenway Sports Group on some level it believes those things. I mean, certainly your experience, their experience with the Boston Red Sox leads them into a situation with Liverpool where they have a better understanding of, of, of what a civic institution that club is and how they should treat it and treat its fans. But that's not how everybody acts, and that's not how everybody's going to act as we move forward. Again, we, we now have not, we have income, we have, we have, um, income inequality in this country, wealth disparity across the globe. 
wealth disparity in the world of football and what the wealth disparity is doing is creating, creating that European elite who now sees themselves as a different category. They are the 1%. Those big clubs. Did you just did you see how much money Manchester United made? They they uh, they had a report that came out yesterday, and th- this is where we are now. Where, as much as it's about what Manchester City does on the field, and is Louis Van Hall getting his tactic rights and uh, tactics right, and and you know is Martial really the answer, and how do you get the most out of Wayne Rooney? It's also about Manchester United earning five hundred million pounds. And this being an enormous story in the world of football. Man United, Premier League club on track to earn 500 million pounds. The first British club to earn that much in one year, despite their lack of success on the pitch. Second quarter revenues rose by 26.6% to a record 133.8 million pounds with commercial revenues of 42.5% to 66.1 million pounds. I mean, I give a crap about this. But it shows you where Manchester United sits in the financial hierarchy of British football, English football, European football. And again, if there is an, a sense for these people that there is money on the table to be, to be made, if they only changed one or two things, if they only went in one or two different directions, they're going to seriously consider those moves. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be doom and gloom. But I do think that a European Super League turns European football upside down to such an extent that I don't know what it looks like. I mean, there will be the Super League and people will watch it around the world. Again, I mean, look, when, when the numbers are, are what they are, 1.5 billion or sorry, 1.6 billion people follow soccer, only 150 million follow the NFL, and the deal, the television deal for the NFL is seven times larger than that of the Champions League, or six and a half times larger than that of the Champions League. Somebody's going to want to fix that. Fix that. The belief among the traditional European footballing powerhouses is that the current Champions League format benefits medium to smaller sized federations and that a breakaway competition is required in which just a few teams would drop in and out each season. The participating clubs would presumably continue to compete in their domestic leagues, albeit with reserve sides, which on the one hand would dilute the quality of the product on offer but would also increase the level of competition. What? I mean, how disastrous. Now, look, some of this is we don't like change. Okay. And we become accustomed to what we, uh, to what we see on television now and what we've come to love as soccer fans. It's the Premier League weekends. It's the La Liga weekends. It's the Bundesliga weekends. The Champions League is midweek. It's gonna, we have a pattern that we follow. We have a rhythm that we have become accustomed to. This is why I think it's, you know, I sort of think the European soccer fan living in the United States is an interesting um, is an interesting creature because the rhythms are so are so different than if you lived in Europe. But imagine if I mean I, I don't even know how this would look and how it would work and how everybody else would respond if there's a super league. I guess with Pro Rel, I don't know how they would figure that out. 
But if there's a Super League with Pro Rel, and again, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Manchester City, AC Milan. I mean, are we, are we watching the domestic league as closely? If Manchester United's got two different teams and their domestic league team is a, is a reserve side, how does that change the balance of power in the Premier League? I mean, I, what about this? What about Manchester United is in the European Super League? And, and per, and look, I mean, we're just going to take this, these details as gospel for now because we don't have any other, uh, any countering details. But if they played in their domestic league with a reserve side while they were playing in the Super League, what if that reserve side got relegated? <laughs> How would that work? You've been relegated from the Premier League, but you're still in the Super League because you're using your best players only in the Super League and you're using your reserve players in... Now, I'm sure Manchester United, via all the money they're going to get from the Super League, can afford to put together two top-level teams, but what kind of player says, I want to go to Manchester United and play in the reserve team in in the Premier League? I don't... That's so weird. Javier Tebas, the president of the LFP, that's in Spain, is opposed to this project, as are many of his counterparts across Europe. Well, thank God for that. The head of the Spanish first and second divisions would prefer to continue trying to close the gap on the Premier League and help teams like uh, Atletico, uh, Atletico, yeah. Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, and Villarreal increase their budgets and thus break up the Madrid-Barça duopoly. So you you don't have everybody on board with this. I'm I'm not. Let's not paint this as Germany and Spain and England are are and Italy are getting ready to 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 split away their biggest clubs and it's completely a done deal and and we're gonna see this sooner rather than later. There are a lot of hurdles here. It seems a very complicated set of circumstances to try to get from from where we are now to a super league. For a lot of reasons. And some of it's legal. And as I, I, I had this discussion with, uh, was it Christian Hennage? I had this discussion with a couple weeks back. And one thing I brought up is lawsuit on top of lawsuit on top of lawsuit. There, there are so many teams, so many competitions, so many companies, so many individuals would be suing for damages in whatever court applies. For a number of reasons, I mean, I could come up with a number of reasons. Some now, some of them will be thrown out, of course, it's frivolous or whatever. But I imagine, not knowing the European court system, certain com- countries, I imagine at least some of them would come to a point where it's uh, a question of of damages and 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 publicity and all those things. Joshua says a super league is acting like Europe is a single country. If they do this in the U.S., if they do this, the U.S. should demand they only get one spot in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, if you if you put together a super league that's across all of Europe, then effectively you're acting like it's one big country, and yeah, they'll get one. What now? They now they could put together an amazing national team with this European. Yeah, they could do that. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. Nobody? Nobody? Nobody's got thoughts, concerns, questions, issues. Nobody wants to talk Super League. Nobody wants to talk uh Arsenal Leicester coming up this weekend. Anybody want to talk about the All Star game? 
Arsenal's coming for the All-Star game. Guys, how excited are you? July 28th, 9 p.m. Eastern. Avaya Stadium, San Jose, California. World-famous club Arsenal. Comes to the United States for a two-game tour. I don't know, what's the other game? Probably playing somebody else big. It's the second time the All-Star game will be hosted in San Jose. Last one was in 2001. Arsenal's participation will continue the tradition of MLS All-Stars facing international clubs during the likes of fellow Premier League sides Manchester United, Everton, Chelsea, and Arsenal's biggest rival Tottenham Hotspur, as well as Italy's AS Roma and Bayern Munich. All-Star Games should be part of a summer break, says Baudur on Twitter. I do not... Uh, if we're going to do the All-Star Game, absolutely. A- absolutely. If we're going to play an All-Star Game... Don't jam it into the middle of the week. Players flying back and forth. I mean, how many how many times have we seen a player... And look, they just put in that new rule, right? There's a rule about the All-Star game. You're not allowed to fake an injury. If you fake an injury or if you pull out of the All-Star game, you're suspended for the next regular season match. And, and I've, I've even heard, oh, this is what other leagues do too. That's still dumb. It's still stupid. It still impacts the legitimate competition uh, to the benefit of an exhibition game. I mean, it's still not right. You've got games on the 24th of, of, of July. Well, 23rd and 24th of July. So the weekend ahead of time. Um, then you have games on Saturday and Sunday, the 30th and 31st. So, again, you're jamming in this in the middle of the week. Players have to fly sometimes across the country to get there. Now, especially, I mean, this isn't a central location. This isn't Kansas City. This is all the way out to California if you're on the East Coast. All the way back. Crazy. Okay, so Bo has also shared with me. I'm going to get to Eddie in Brooklyn. I definitely want to talk to him. Bo has shared with me this tweet from Jerome de Bontan, who used to be um, big in the uh, Red Bulls organization uh, and was also with Monaco. U.S.-based Domino's Pizza, new title sponsor for French D2 Soccer League. More money for D2 clubs, better competition for promotion. Domino's Pizza. Jumping into the soccer game. Sponsoring Ligue 2. Eddie, what's up, man? Hey, what's up? Um, my my biggest problem with Arsenal being the the All Star team that that MLS is going to play against is that they're not being held in Rebel Arena. Because if there's one fan base that I enjoyed out hustling and making a lot of money off of, it was the Arsenal European <laughs> snob. So I buy advice to anybody in San Jose. I don't know if they're going to do it where you know if you're maybe you're a season ticket holder, maybe you get either first dibs to buy tickets or, or they give you a you know a free pair of tickets in, in your season ticket package, don't go to the game. For the love of God, don't go to the game. Yep. Sell those tickets. Okay. I'm with you, Eddie. I mean absolutely. I mean I, I went off yesterday on Sirius XM about how much I hate the All Star game at this point. How how over I over I'm over the, the, the foreign club coming in. I'm over MLS putting itself up as the second build team in its own all-star game. I'm just, I'm over, I'm over the jamming it into the middle of the season. I'm over the players not caring enough to make it worth it, but the fans going nuts about it. I'm over 
I'm over the, the, the European soccer fans. I mean, the fans of European soccer who live here dropping 500 bucks on games that don't matter. I'm just over all that. But if you have the opportunity, if you get your hands on some tickets, and I think it's first, co- you know, I think it's first crack for the, the San Jose Earthquakes fans as part of their package. I don't think they, I don't think they get any for free or as part of the package. They have to buy outside of that, but they do get first dibs. Yeah. As, as, as Eddie is saying, secondary market's a wonderful thing. Yeah, definitely. Because when when Arsenal came in 2014, they gave us two free. T- I was a Rebel season ticket holder, so they gave us two free tickets. I flipped those, and then I had first dibs to buy more, so I bought two and I flipped those, and I paid my 2015 season tickets were paid for before you know I, I was up to to re uh, to redo them in August. So it could be a very lucrative business. Yeah. I, I I love it when Arsenal comes because for some for whatever reason. The, this this Euro snob fan base, and I'm calling them Euro snob fan base because no sensible person who goes to an MLS game week in and week out and they're paying twenty thirty dollars is going to drop two fifty three hundred dollars on a ticket yeah. to watch Arsenal play. So they they're, they're not they haven't processed the fact that damn man I can pay thirty bucks to watch a good soccer game, but no. I'm going to pay 300 bucks yeah. to see Arsenal's second well, and, and, and so. that, Yeah, that's good. I made a joke on Twitter yesterday. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to repeat it here because I was a little proud of it, Eddie. It's, uh, I said, um, some guy you know. Good for those Liverpool fans walking out, sticking to FSG, greedy bastards. Puts down 500 bucks to buy, to see Arsenal play in the United States. That's, that's the same, yeah. the same guy doing that, doing those two things. It just cracks me up. I mean, it makes sense, it makes sense for the guys over there. Where the club has been a part of their family lineage for you know decades and, and generations, but here you know they wake up on a random Saturday morning and they start saying the word pitch. Like, yeah, I'm totally making fun of these people because I, I just feel like it, and I, I love making money off of them. So, if you're like I said, if you're in San Jose, do not go to the game All right. whatsoever. All right. Look, make uh, money. But uh, I will say this about the All Star game. Okay, I agree with you that um, I'm, I'm done. I've, I've been done with the whole European thing. I would like to see you go back to East West and, and not only that, but kind of liken it to the NBA All-Star game and kind of make it a weekend event with yeah. this. There's so many things like you can yeah. do a five aside game, crossbar challenges. Like there's so many small things you can do before the actual game on a Sunday. So you do it on a Saturday. That is, it's a, I think it's a better advertisement for the league at this point than bringing in you know, some European team and having them play their first first eleven for like forty five minutes, and then it's nothing but second fingers for the last forty five minutes, and then we're arguing why X player isn't in the All Star game, and and you know somebody like Lampard is in the All Star game when it should really be both. Yeah, you know, I I, I uh, there are a bunch of different suggestions people have for what to do with the All Star game, the format. I mean, I could do East, I could do with East East versus West. I'm cool with that. Again, I said. You know, highlight your own talent. Like, you, you, if you, if you, if you're improving and the goal is to get people to care about your league. Cause again, what does Arsenal bring you? Are, are there casual soccer fans who ear, whose ears perk up because Arsenal comes to town who then become MLS fans, Eddie? Is that a thing that happens? I mean, I just don't know. I, I think it's a myth. I mean, I, I just don't think it can, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze is what I'm saying. And MLS is trying to, they're trying to scrape prestige off of Arsenal. You can't do that. You you have to build you have to build your own prestige. You have to prove yourself. You can't you can't say, oh look, Arsenal's here. Look, rub rub up against Arsenal. Get a bit little bit of that you know uh, one nil to the Gunners history stuff. No, it didn't work. That's not that, that that does not work. Arsene Wenger comes here, runs his reserve kids through through their paces, 
at, at three quarters speed and goes home. He doesn't care about anything that's happening. He doesn't care about MLS or the quality of the play. He just needs a run out for his kids. Yeah, and then, you know, the the notion that, that some Arsenal fan is going to show up to the stadium that day and he's going to be so blown away by the MLS All-Stars that now he's going to follow the league. I've always, I, I kind of found that to be a little bit ridiculous. I, I don't buy into that theory. If they're not, if they, if they don't, if they haven't taken the time to care now, you know, Having Arsenal come to an All Star game, I don't think yeah. that's going to cut it. Yeah, like you know, I, just to give some other opinions here. Okay, I got Kevin Kincaid from uh, from up in Philadelphia, who's a regular guest on the show. He says MLS versus foreign team is still the best format for the All Star game. East versus West doesn't I like that. No, no, he said he said it's the best. He says he likes what we do now. That what MLS does now. Oh no, I thought he was talking about like like you know MLS like US players against like the world. No, no, no. He's saying MLS All Stars versus a foreign club is still the best format. East versus West doesn't appeal to casuals, and USA versus Mexico is a provincial thing that foreign player, foreign MLS players probably don't get or care about. I don't necessarily agree with that. If you put together an MLS All-Star, and I've heard this format presented too, Eddie, and I'm, I'm kind of open to it. If you put together an MLS All-Star team and then ask League MX, you know, it's their break, to put together an All-Star team of some type, guys would be willing to come up and play, that might be fun. I, I don't think that that, I don't think Javinko needs to understand USA Mexico rivalry to get into that. But again, it's it's an all-star game in the middle of your season when you're dealing with all of the the things that make MLS hard and you're tired and you're sore and you don't really want to be flying across the country to kick the ball around in a game that doesn't mean anything. So I I don't I don't, you know, I just don't see the value anymore. I mean, they could even do that the league of Mexico kind of makes sense because if you do it like in say June and yeah, like I would say, like mid June before the League MX season even starts, you, you will have access to those players. Yeah, and there's yeah, I mean, I would love to see, you know, Jovinko go up against an Edwin Cardona in in, in an All Star game that have to worry about some kid who's 19 years old who I've never heard of who Arsenal is going to loan out about six times before anybody even know, learns about him. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm to me I've always I've always been against the the club against. MLS because you know Malaysia does it. Yeah, you know, right. I guess that, that feels like right. it's a Malaysia thing. Right. Like the, it's, the, it's, the, it's just the Philippines. I feel like we're past that, the and Philippines I don't care about the casual anymore. Right. I just don't. Yeah, I, I think I think MLS. Um, you know, MLS is is focused on the the hardcore fan until the casual walks in the door, and then their their eyes go up, and you're like, wait a second, hold on, I'm sitting right here, and you'd be looking at them. Like I I think that that is a distraction that MLS sometimes lets themselves be sucked into that does more harm than good um here's a couple of suggestions um from well obviously Bo says um just make it part of a, a summer break Dwayne Rollins up in Canada take two weeks off instead of one all-star game allow clubs to schedule up to two friendlies during the break or just rest so instead of an all-star game take a two-week break to help teams recuperate, if they want to schedule a friendly to make their money, fine, go do it. That's your that's your MLS versus foreign club. If Arsenal's on a tour, maybe the Galaxy, maybe the maybe Toronto, maybe New York plays Arsenal on their own because they want to play Arsenal because it it it, it helps their you know their bottom line or whatever. But they're doing it during a break when they're not having to 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 shuffle things, and it's not an all star team who can't possibly be effective playing together after two days of training. I don't even know if I buy the notion of a break. Okay, if you don't like, if you don't want a break, that's fine. I'm just saying that's a suggestion from from one person. 
Yeah, no, I'm just like seeing clubs come over here in the summer and, and kind of break up the MLS season. It's just, it, it after a while, you kind of wonder what's the point? Like, what is the end game? What are the results? What's being achieved? And I don't think anybody can point to anything tangible and be like, oh, yeah, that's a result of this, other than there being a lot of money coming in, but ratings aren't going up. The league isn't getting that much more notoriety. Like, what's really the end result? And I kind of feel like you're kind of taking something out of the league by doing it this way for nothing in the end. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, Eddie. I mean, it's 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 a matter, you know, it's um, it's a matter. It's that continuing problem MLS has, where it's like we got to market ourselves. We're going to do all these things and and get our name out there and put you know put put the league up against uh, some of the best uh, again some of the best soccer brands in the world in order to try to to scrape off some of that notoriety. At, at the same time, it probably isn't the best thing for the for the competition. It definitely isn't, and it it, it probably doesn't service the the hardcore fans. Yeah, I, mean, I think everybody's trying to find a quick fix solution because everybody wants MLS to be something that it's clearly not yet. Right. And I think yep. instead of that, just enjoy the product for what it is now and market the best part of that product Man. instead of trying to find a quick fix solution. I, I, feel, I feel like we need to be like gurus up on the mountain, Eddie, and, and have people come to us and just say, you know, just chill, man. Just like, like, like time takes care of all things. Like just wait, be, yeah. be patient. And as you said, enjoy what's here. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people out there who want to, who, who want to suggest that if you are, if you are okay with the way things are, then you, you're okay with mediocrity, that, uh, that, that you're missing, um, you know, that, that the United States has so much more potential than, than we're living up to as a soccer country, blah, blah, blah. And I can, I can listen to those arguments, but at the same time, it, 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 it's not going to go from zero to where you want it to be in 20 years. I'm, I mean, people think, oh, 20 years, that's such a long time. How are we still where we are? Are you serious? Do you understand how short of a time that that's one generation of people that's barely enough for anything to take hold in a purely cultural sense and, and nobody wants to wait and and I, I it's boring to say wait but that's the truth of it enjoy the soccer that's there or not but just realize patience matters here No I agree I mean look I, I I'll agree with those people too and and what what can do to help grow the league but I think that has more to do with the rules themselves and, you know, scheduling friendlies against European teams isn't going to fix that yeah, problem. That's true. It's more and, so the rules and again, these than, things, than just the scheduling. These things aren't mutually exclusive. You can advocate for change. You can advocate for MLS. I'm, I'm, I'm here railing against MLS and, 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 and the single entity and the salary structure and how low some of the salaries are all the time. But that doesn't mean I can't also watch the games on the weekend and, and enjoy that. I mean, what else are you going to do? Right? I mean, really, right. What kind of life, what other kind of life would I have? Eddie, you got anything else before I let you go, man? Uh, no, just Joel Campbell beats Will and Francis for the match winner at the MLS All-Star game. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We might get to see, uh, get a chance to see Joel Campbell on the field for Arsenal. Who's been, I mean, you haven't called in to crow about him breaking into that team at all. I'm shocked. The amount of crow about I mean, all I did was say prior to the 2014 World Cup that he's going to be the best player in the region. I'm just, you know, just sitting back and watching it. <laughs> there you go. Appreciate the call, man. Good stuff. <laughs> Eddie in Brooklyn, resident uh, the, our resident Costa Rica booster here on Soccer Morning. Good stuff from Eddie. I was I I didn't mention this to Eddie just now. Hold on, let me take a drink of water. Uh, the throat gets dry. 
uh, I didn't mention this to Eddie just now, but I'm wa- I was watching a little bit because I was bored. I had nothing else to do. I was plowing through some writing, and I turned on the New York Red Bulls town hall meeting. This is the same meeting that they had last year that devolved into a bunch of curse words and allegations of uh, of doing Mike Pecky dirty and, and a bunch of New Yorkers very upset, which was so entertaining. This year was nothing like that. As you can imagine, very calm, very happy people thanking the team for a wonderful year last year. Yes, they came up short in the playoffs, but man, they did, they did some pretty great things. And this one guy stood up there and I swear he was like Eddie's kindred spirit. He went off about how, you know, yeah, you didn't win in the playoffs, but you know, what matters is that you had the most points and that you were champions. That you are the real champions, Red Bulls. That's it, it, you know, it's, it's about how you did in the season. Forget the playoffs. It doesn't matter. And I was like, that's, that's Eddie. Hey, there, where, where's Eddie? Is that Eddie? Eddie's attitude's the same. Get rid of the playoffs. Give the team that wins the supporter shield the championship. All right. So Jerome Valky has now been banned from soccer for 12 years. That is, uh, just come down the line. Uh, I don't know. Do I even, do I even have the energy to be like excited about comeuppance anymore? I don't even, I mean, come on. The adjudicatory chamber of the independent ethics committee chaired by Mr. Hans Joachim Eckert has banned Mr. Jerome Valk, former secretary general of FIFA for 12 years from all football related activities on a national international level. The ban comes into force immediately. This all goes back to sale of tickets. Jerome was one of those guys who, very much like our friend CONCACAF Jack, was, was benefiting from some ticket scams. Got his hands on some tickets, gave them to his son or something. This, this is like very much like, like Jack's case, I think. Wasn't his son involved? Or am I, am I getting my stories confused? It doesn't matter. He did something dirty, and now he's been banned for 12 years. And, and it's so weird to watch FIFA clean up its house after the fact. After Loretta Lynch went in on FIFA, now FIFA's like, oh, damn, we better clean up. We, this is like, you know, like the, the, I don't know. It's, I don't even, I'm not even sure that shouting for it is a thing I, I can work up anymore. Valky, Valka, Valky, whatever was, um, quite the, the dirty bird. The investigation against Mr. Valka was conducted by Mr. Cornell Borbelli, chairman of the investigatory chamber, following allegations of potential misconduct related to the sale of tickets for FIFA World Cups. During the course of the investigation, several other acts of potential misconduct arose, in particular abuse of FIFA travel expenses, policies, and regulations, cases involving related parties' issues, and the sale of TV and other media rights, and the destruction of evidence. So, uh, yeah, no surprises here. Jerome was a was a bad guy, and he was uh you know right hand man of Mr. Seb Blatter. So connect some dots. Among other things, the chamber found that a sports marketing firm had gained an undue advantage from the selling of FIFA World Cup tickets. In this respect, not only did Mr. Valka come up with nothing to stop these acti- do nothing to stop these activities, he even encouraged the persons responsible to do so. Furthermore, Mr. Valka repeatedly encouraged them to breach an agreement concluded between FIFA and the sports marketing firm. Uh, he attempted to grant, to grant the TV and media rights for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups to a third party for a fee far below their actual market value and had taken concrete preparatory action in this regard. 
So, again, this is very much CONCACAF Jack. But they're all the same guy. They're all the same guy. They're all doing the same business. Getting rich on th- off the back of soccer. All right. Uh, we are running out of steam here on a Friday. I mean, you guys, Eddie jumped up and, 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 and jumped on board, but really, it seems to be very slow. Uh, you're all ready for your weekend. You maybe you're sitting at your desk and you just can't, uh, you can't get, even get up the energy to reach up and pick up the phone. And I understand. I do. I am with you. It's been a week. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much to, uh, to Eddie for jumping on. Uh, sorry for the lack of guests today. Again, couldn't be helped. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Talk about the weekend. Monday's a holiday, but I think we're going to be on the air. We'll definitely be on Sirius XM. Uh, don't expect to be missing that one. So, yeah, be there on, on Monday. We'll see you. Bye.